0: This is a special Uncommon Sense podcast for 3 FM with Amy Mullins. The interview you're about to hear is with Guardian Australia environment reporter, Graham Redfern. Graham joined me to discuss his recent reporting that goes behind the scenes to look at the Australian government's successful lobbying efforts to prevent the Great Barrier Reef from being listed as in danger by the UNESCO World Heritage Committee. Graham also explores the World Heritage Committee's decision to list the Kheng Krachan forests in Thailand as a World Heritage Site. This decision has human rights implications as the Karen people are reportedly being evicted from their homes in the Kheng Krachan forests. There are a number of issues that have been arising in the coronavirus pandemic. And in the background of all of that, and perhaps fortunately for some in the government, the coronavirus pandemic has easily overtaken some of the very concerning issues that have been happening environmentally in the world, including here in Australia. And to talk about these environmental issues is Guardian reporter who focuses on the environment in his reporting, Graham Redfern. I welcome Graham now, and thank you so much for joining me, Graham.
1: No worries. Thank you, Amy. Great to be here. I'm sorry I'm not locked down.
0: No. Did you just I'm get out of Brisbane. lockdown? I'm in Brisbane, yeah. we're not.
1: Lo- I feel left out. It's you you are a bit left
0: out. Yeah. It's like there aren't many left in your club.
1: I know. Uh, we're, we're a bit exclusive up here now.
0: It is, yeah. Well, I mean, you're going to have to fight WA for the grand final, it appears. Mm. So uh, we'll have to see what happens with that. But um, I'm glad, at least for Queensland's sake, that you got on top of that Delta outbreak because it did look particularly concerning.
1: It did. Yeah, we were a little bit worried here, but I don't know. We, we, kind of our trials and tribulations are, yeah, nothing to what in Victoria and New South Wales are going through.
0: Graham, I know that the Great Barrier Reef is such a significant part of the environment in Queensland and it has some amazing rainforests and there are so many beauties within Queensland in an environmental sense. But obviously, the Great Barrier Reef is one of those very famous features of Queensland's environment and and globally so. So this is an area which is not only having a huge amount of environmental value, but obviously it does have have economic value to the state as well in in the sense of tourism when tourism is actually allowed. Uh, And obviously I'm sure Queenslanders love to see their own reef. But as we know in recent years and as you've reported on and and others have reported on, we've seen many events of mass coral bleaching of the Great Barrier Reef. And there are scientists in Queensland and beyond monitoring these bleaching events and also looking at the drivers of bleaching and clearly the warming ocean warming caused by climate change is one of those major drivers so it wasn't that surprising to the population to hear that unesco a un body was thinking and proposing to have the great barrier reef listed as quote in danger so why do you think the australian government was supposedly caught offside
1: yeah, well, I, I'm not sure they were. Um, uh, Susan Lee, the Environment Minister, claimed that her department had been blindsided by this recommendation. And the way that it works is UNESCO pulls together technical and sort of scientific reports from the IUCN, which is what their science advises, and, uh, and but also from the government's own reports. So we have, like, the Outlook report for the reef we have water quality reports, and they pull all this stuff together and make a recommendation, and the recommendation was that the World Heritage Committee should put it on the endanger list. There's like a, uh, a a trigger for it, for an endanger listing, and it's if a site faces potential or ascertained danger, and UNESCO said the reef was, was facing ascertained danger, and so it should go on the list. The last time this sort of sort of Damocles hung over the Australian government on the reef with this endanger listing was sort of 2014. So it's been sort of suggested that this might happen before. And, of course, since then, we've had these back-to-back bleaching episodes caused by, as you say, warming oceans, uh, caused in turn by us burning too many fossil fuels. we had these three bleaching events, 2016, 2017 and 2020. So it's been coming. And this was the first time the reef had been back sort of before the committee since the last event, uh, since the last meeting in 2015, when they when they discussed it. So this is the first time the reef's come back in five years. In those five years, you've had these mass bleaching events. And at the same time, the government, the uh, programmes to improve water quality on the reef, they've got a bunch of targets. And UNESCO said that on water quality, the, everything was happening a bit too slowly. Now... Susan Lee claimed this, when she said the government was blindsided, she said that UNESCO had given her department some assurances that the reef wouldn't be recommended for this listing as early, so only a few weeks before the recommendation came out. Uh, now, actually, UNESCO denies that. And UNESCO says, well, Australia should have seen it coming. But but there it was. Um, so... The recommendation comes out. Um, Susan Lee goes on the offensive, and then we get this this huge lobbying effort backed by the um, backed by the federal government.
0: Yeah, and I mean, you pointed out in your reports that this report that was created by UNESCO and put forward to the committee the recommendation that it be listed as in danger. That's something that's been in train in terms of the consideration of the updated science, the ongoing monitoring that UNESCO does in terms of the situation for each of these cases. This is not something that just kind of comes out of the blue. And one thing that seemed to have been indicated that you also mentioned in the report, is that the federal environment minister said that the decision was flawed and that it was potentially motivated by politics, somehow implying that because China was hosting the committee meeting, that that could potentially be a motivation because obviously we're at a very much a diplomatic low between China and Australia. So many people who follow politics uh, at that domestic and foreign level would know that that's not possible for something that's been happening since, as you say, about 2015. Um, It does take a long time for these proposals Mm. to be made, you know, that this isn't just some kind of uh, last-minute, last-ditch attempt by Beijing to anger Australia
1: yeah <laughs> i think the 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 statement that maybe there was politics at play was itself a political statement you know um for what it's worth i put it to unesco uh, and they flatly rejected it there needs to be an understanding though of of sort of the process it's a bit dull but unesco puts the report together, gathers in the information, gets its advice from the IUCN, which is a conservation an international conservation body and and then they make their recommendation, which they send to the world heritage committee for it to consider and yeah china was uh, is the chair was the chair of the last meeting so the processes under which UNESCO were making the decision was nothing to do with the World Heritage Committee or China's chair of that committee. That happened before that. You know, much more likely, um, a much more likely scenario here is that, hey, you know, uh, we had the impacts on the reef that climate scientists and marine biologists have been warning us about for a long time. Those impacts rolled out from 2015, and uh, hey, presto, it's still in danger. Uh, mm-hmm. Even, you know, it's even more obvious. After those bleaching events, so yeah, I'm not, I'm not really sure about the, the 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 China issue. Funnily enough, the the government, well, Susan Lee anyway, would would not actually explicitly say it was China what did it, um, but she didn't need to because essentially some of the conservative media uh, ran those talking points on the government's behalf.
0: Yeah, yeah, um, as those is often the case. Yes. Yeah, and obviously you mentioned there that Susan Lee took a trip or multiple trips. I guess you could say it was an eight-day lobbying trip. During this pandemic, so, I mean, first of all, it's kind of staggering that this was possible, but it appears from the reporting that she had met ambassadors from 18 countries either face-to-face or virtually, and there's a, a great Guardian graphic in one of the reports which shows the trip that was taken, which included places like Budapest, Paris, Madrid, Sarajevo, the Maldives via Oman, these countries that uh, Susan Lee was meeting with, they were obviously key to that committee. So I wonder if you could, mm. I guess, lift the veil of what yeah. was going on there.
1: So, yes, most of those countries that you've mentioned, they're all members of the World Heritage Committee. So the World Heritage Committee uh, elects members on a regional basis, usually over six years, but actually n- normally countries serve for about three. And, yeah, she, she got on a diplomatic, one of the RWS diplomatic jets, one of the new ones, and flew to, landed uh, in Budapest. Hungary is one of the members of the committee and other places that she went to, yeah, she went to Madrid. Uh, Spain is also a member of the World Heritage Committee. She went to uh, Sarajevo. Bosnia and Herzegovina is a member of the committee. She went to Oman, also a member. Obviously went to Paris, where you all these ambassadors from these different countries, the permanent ambassadors to UNESCO, are all in the same spot in Paris. So that, that was a good, good place for her to go. Uh, interestingly, the... The meeting that she had in Madrid was reported by Spanish-language media and an environment journalist over there that I I communicated a little bit with. And he interviewed Spain's UNESCO ambassador, who essentially admitted that he'd done a deal with Susan Lee. Um, Spain would support blocking the endanger listing and Australia would in turn support a proposal from Spain to put a site in Madrid on the list. Now, what's important here is that UNESCO had said that this site in Madrid, the the Pasio del Prado and Juan Retiro, it shouldn't be placed on the World Heritage List. There was way more work needed to be done. But instead, the World Heritage Committee crossed out lots of sections of UNESCO's report and just popped it straight on the list. So very clear evidence that, on a, in at least one occasion, and probably others, Australia had had done a deal. Now, the World Heritage Convention, the whole thing that ties this together, I mean, it's one of the oldest UNESCO, it's one of the oldest UN sort of treaties. It's been going for 45 years. It's got about 190 odd countries that ratified it, um, and the whole point of it is to conserve the most important places on the planet place most important to humanity. And so to do that, you kind of need uh, a clear-eyed decisions made on the technical and scientific reports. But it seems that what the committee was doing instead was too often just making decisions that kind of would do each other a favour.
0: Mm, one of the I guess key points here is also that Australia needed someone to co-sponsor amendments put to this meeting to delay this decision about whether the Great Barrier Reef should be termed as in danger. And I remember that you reported that Saudi Arabia and Bahrain were set to co-sponsor those amendments. Mm. What did actually happen in the end in terms of that amendment that was put forward and the different countries and how they actually voted?
1: Yeah, that's true. So Bahrain and Saudi Arabia, I think, were the first The first names that the federal government managed to secure to sponsor this amendment because Australia couldn't put it forward itself. And then as the days and weeks went on, as the lobbying went on, more and more countries started to join that amendment. And essentially what it, what it said, what it recommended, was the World Heritage Committee would not put the reef on the endanger list and that instead it would ask UNESCO to launch a monitoring mission. And they had initially wanted to get the world heritage committee to think about the reef again at its 2023 meeting but during the committee hearing there was a, a bit of back and forth uh, mainly between norway and the committee and in the end australia was given just another another 6 months but yes that that amendment co-sponsored by saudi arabia and bahrain and obviously a few people were rolling their eyes and raising their eyebrows at another fossil fuel Fossil Fuel Friend, as one campaigner put it, uh, getting uh, alongside Australia, uh, that, that amendment worked for the most part.
0: And in terms of UNESCO, on their own website, it lists some of the cases that have been inscribed on the list of world heritage that are considered in danger. Some of those that they've listed on their own website are the Iranian city of Bam, the historic town of Zabid in Yemen, the Bamiyan Valley in Afghanistan, national parks in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. So, I mean, there are clearly some major illustrations of either environmental heritage, cultural or architectural heritage that are of great concern to the World Heritage Mm. Committee, so much so that they have inscribed them as in danger. Do you think that all these lobbying efforts have actually been worthwhile in terms of the real outcomes that have been achieved? Because presumably being listed as in danger doesn't necessarily have you know, major practical consequences in the sense that the UN can't really strong arm people into doing things they don't want to do. Mm. So I just wonder what the real outcomes are in terms of what Australia was hoping to achieve. Was it more around reputational issues than to do with uh, any kind of practical outcome that could be forced upon them?
1: Yeah, I think it was probably a couple of things. Uh, reputational would, would definitely be one. I mean, you've noticed some of those countries, a lot of those sites that are on the endangered, uh, they're in developing nations or, mm. or in areas that have had problems with conflict. I mean, the six of the sites on the endangered list are in Syria. So yeah, sure, reputation not not great. Doesn't look good. More stories around the world saying the reefs in danger and more threat to tourism dollars. At least, at least that was that was the way that some people framed it. The Australian government, though, claimed that they were unhappy with process. They said UNESCO should have done a monitoring trip beforehand, and it didn't. And Australia's done everything that the committee have asked them previously, and yet here we are. But some of the other analysts that I spoke to, in particular Professor Tiffany Morrison at James Cook University, she, she's um, done some research into the politics around endangered things on the World Heritage Committee, um, not just the reef, but look, many others, uh, and she says that this decision was all about trying to preserve the federal government's social license to continue to approve fossil fuel projects. Much harder to approve a fossil fuel project close to a World Heritage Endanger site. So she thinks that maybe there's there's some fossil fuel interest sort of uh, around, that, around that decision as well. And uh, I think all of those are sort of relatively convincing arguments, but it's true that, that Australia has worked hard to do certain things to, to help the Great Barrier Reef. Uh, many people say not enough but UNESCO's report did acknowledge that some good things had been done. I mean, one of the reasons why the reef was put on the, was put on the World Heritage List in the first place in 1981 was because it was, it was kind of this, this new thing where we had a piece of legislation protecting this huge piece of kind of natural heritage, and it was, it was seen as a, a really great example for the world in how you could manage a really expansive sort of marine area like this. The the problem, though, here is that even if you do all those things, it's hard to climate-proof a reef when they are so susceptible to rising ocean temperatures. So uh, you suspect that even if the government had uh, hit all its water targets, and it's well short of that, that you you probably would still have seen this recommendation. You would still have seen the impacts rolling out uh, over the last few years with coral bleaching. And, you know, you, you don't spare those tourism dollars by sort of papering over this issue, it's clear that the route's in danger. And whether you sort of stick the official label on it or not, I'm not sure what the government gets from that. But clearly they they felt a lot was at stake to send a government minister during the pandemic to the other side of the world and a diplomatic jet to go around several other countries and at the same time get a load of ambassadors based in Canberra up to the Great Barrier Reef to put them in a mask and snorkel to to go out on Agincourt Reef with Warren Ench.
0: Mm, I do remember seeing that as well. Yeah, it's um, staggering to see in the pandemic, as we've said, with so many states having been in various forms of lockdown and restrictions, that this is something that's been going on and that the government clearly, where it's been criticised for inaction and slow action on many policy fronts has really ramped up the action on this front. So it is quite stark to see the different priorities in terms of actions taken. One issue that is really quite relevant to this issue that we've just been speaking with and was also a subject of discussion was uh, the forest's in Thailand, the Kayang Krachan forests in Thailand. And there was also a lot of politics going on within that and the discussions about whether to list those forests as a World Heritage site. Um, And it really does affect the Karen people there who have been living in those forests um, and have actually been continue to be forcibly evicted, as you report, from those forests. Mm. Not to be conflated with the Karenni people, the Karen and the Karenni are both significant populations in Australia who, you know, are wonderful peoples. But obviously this decision also involves Australia and another, a number of other countries. So I wonder if you could take us through the background of this decision and the politics that was going on behind it.
1: Yeah, so the can. Okeng-Krashin Forest Complex. It's on the border with Myanmar on the, the Thailand side. I've never been, but it sounds like an amazing place. Asian elephants, endangered giant tortoise, all these amazing sort of birds, th- leopards, uh, marbled cats. You know, it's, it sounds, sounds stunning. Mm. Um, and Thailand has been trying to get this site on the uh, World Heritage List Since I think around 2012, uh, maybe in the first attempt. It's been before the World Heritage Committee a few times. Uh, I think three times in total it's been referred back to Thailand. One of the main reasons for the referral back is because of some major concerns expressed repeatedly by the UN Human Rights Agency, the UNHCR, about the way that the Karen people were being treated. It's really concerning that they are those people that complain that they're they're being moved around from place to place forcibly. They are being arrested. Their houses are being burned. There was a, the, a disappearance of a land rights campaigner who, a few years later, his what's thought to be his remains turned up in a, in an oil drum on a dam in the middle of this forest complex. So really really concerning. And the UNHCR had written to the World Heritage Committee in June and July, saying this place cannot go on the World Heritage list. It breaks a whole lot of guidelines around the treating of Indigenous people in World Heritage, and more widely, a, a whole lot of UN guidelines and conventions around human rights and Indigenous people. So the site comes before the committee. And instead of referring it back and following the advice, the committee instead um, agrees that it should be placed directly on the list. Now, while, while we were here thinking about the Great Barrier Reef, there were protests by Karen people in Thailand about this decision. They camped outside the Chinese embassy in Bangkok. They threw red paint around the Environment Department's buildings And these are not new protests. These complaints have been going on for years and years. And, in fact, Australia knew about them because the last time the forest complex came up before the committee, Australia actually sort of voiced some concerns. But it seems that this time, Australia just did not say anything at all and the decision was allowed to go through. Now, this sets up the the potential that Australia has traded the rights of these people in return for its silence on the inscription of the the forest complex, uh, you know, in in return for uh, a positive decision for the reef. That should leave a really awful taste in all of our mouths, especially given the plight of these people in this area. There's an Indigenous Peoples Forum on World Heritage... It's chaired by an Australian Indigenous lady called Chrissy Grant. And after the decision was made, she said to the committee that this was one of the lowest points in the history of the World Heritage Convention. I spoke to other uh, sort of World Heritage experts, and they were utterly horrified that Australia, as a country that had previously shown concern, decided to do nothing. But then, of course, Australia was one of 21 countries on this committee. The only country that sparked out, actually, was was Norway. It said that it, it could not support that decision wanted it placed on the record that it, it was against the decision for all the reasons that we've already outlined.
0: The silence speaks for itself, doesn't it? The fact that only Norway said something against it. But in the past, there had been other countries, including Australia, voicing their concerns and agreeing with the UNHCR that there were human rights concerns. The fact that suddenly those concerns were not considered critical Mm. anymore to this decision is particularly interesting.
1: It is, as well, especially because Australia, when the announcement from UNESCO came out that it wanted the route to go on the endangered list, Australia was a country that was complaining about politics uh, yes. and the politicisation of the process. And then here we are with the, the whole process being politicised with sort of horse trading going on that undermines the, the convention or so some of the, many of the experts say. And this is, a, this is sort of a broader concern, That people at UNESCO and the IUCN and other World Heritage experts have have got is they're increasingly seeing the World Heritage Committee drift away from the scientific and technical sort of reports and recommendations that they get and instead just sort of making making decisions that, that help each other out.
0: It's just been so wonderful to speak with you, Graham, to unpack these issues and to actually really understand what's been going on behind the scenes and what the issues are, at these UNESCO meetings because clearly it's a lot more than just the headlines and I know that you've just done some phenomenal reporting on it. I do encourage people to actually go to the Guardian website and read your articles alongside your colleague Adam Morton to look at some of these issues in greater depth and um, I really appreciate your time today. Thanks a lot, Amy. I've just been speaking with Graham Redfern, who is an environment reporter for The Guardian Australia, and we've just been talking about the UNESCO committee decisions about whether to list the Great Barrier Reef as in danger, and also whether to list the Keng, Krachan forests on the World Heritage Register and how that has affected the Karen people. I'm Amy Mullins, and you've been listening to the Uncommon Sense podcast.